0: Uh, pick up where we left off last week in the prophecy of Haggai or Haggai. We started with a broad introduction and and we talked about the the time frame, Uh, 70 years the Israelites were uh, in captivity to Babylon. There could be uh, a few other years uh, there and we saw that this uh, showed us fulfilled promises Uh, But it it were fulfilled promises, first of all, of judgment and then of restoration. Uh, In the introduction uh, proper to the book, we saw that Haggai's name means festal. And uh, it it could be that he was named uh, during the exile by somebody who remembered the feast. And certainly uh, uh, once they rebuilt the temple and and started having feasts again, his name would fit like other prophets do into that time. Uh, we saw that the dates uh, of his prophecy are very specific. And we looked at some of the themes. The The first theme is the, the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, the other uh, theme is the intensity uh, of uh, the name of God, Yahweh. Uh, 33 times in uh, 38 verses, uh, God's name is, is used and repeated over and over. Yahweh of hosts declares Yahweh... Uh, uh, the Lord of Hosts, Elohim, is repeated, and this gives um, this gives the, the force to uh, Haggai's message. Uh, we also looked at uh, uh, covenantal themes, and uh, I was uh, starting to uh, pick up the pace, uh, and we kind of brushed over some of these. But in chapter two, verse five, God says, "Remember that I brought you out of Egypt," and that and that is um, that is important. It's not just one verse. There's a, there's a lot of Uh, Meaning in there the restoration of the temple would mean the restoration of God's glory in the temple And then we looked uh, briefly at the Messianic and the eschatological uh, parts of it and I just want to go back to uh, the Messianic uh, Aspects chapter 2 verse 22 23 is a promise of uh, God to Zerubbabel and uh, he will uh, be a signet or a sign And this all leads uh, to uh, the fact that uh, David, uh, or the Messiah, was uh, supposed to be the son of David. Recently, we've looked at uh, several of these texts in Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 37. Uh, Jesus asked them that question, if if, uh, he's David's son, how does he call him Lord? And he he tries to explain that to them. And... uh, Pastor Weaver spoke out of Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 33 to 36, recently, Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this which you see and hear, that's Jesus and the Spirit. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I Uh, Put your enemies at a footstool for your feet. And his conclusion there is everybody should believe then in in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We saw in our previous studies that some people in Jesus' ministry actually called out, uh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They uh, connected him with uh, being the Messiah. And then uh, also uh, Romans 1, 1 through 6 Paul says, God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, who was designated as the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection uh, from the dead, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, our Lord. So we can see that uh, uh, Zerubbabel is blessed Uh, But the future blessing is uh, the coming of the Messiah. Uh, We uh, looked at Hebrews chapter 10, uh, that there's a new and living way through the curtain that is the flesh of Christ. The curtain was rent in the crucifixion. We also looked at the passage in Revelation. And John, in a vision, says, I turned and I saw. And uh, there is no temple in the city. The heavenly Jerusalem uh, doesn't have uh, a temple and then finally to just tie up the uh, eschatological uh, patterns in uh, habakkuk 2 verse 6 uh, yahweh says thus says yahweh of hosts once more in a little while i am going to shake the heavens and the earth the sea also and the dry land and um, uh, that also goes to chapter 2:21, speak to zerubbabel the governor of judah saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the strength of the kingdoms and of nations, overthrow their chariots and their riders, their horse and riders will go down, everyone by the sword of another. The, the horses and the riders, remember, are, are a, a picture of what happened to the, to the uh, Pharaoh and his army, the horses and the riders. And uh, uh, God says, on that day, uh, I, I will... Uh, do it. Well, the writer to the Hebrews uh, picks that up in Hebrews chapter 12, and he's uh, summing up his epistle, and he tells us, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness, and gloom, and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words. It was such that those who heard begged that no further word would be spoken to them, for they could not bear what was being commanded. Even if a beast touches a mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was what appeared that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But here's what we come to. You have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels. Notice that it's not a physical mountain we stand before and tremble. We come to spiritual things to the festal gathering and assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And we come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Now, here's that's what we come to, and, and here's the uh, prophecy from uh, Haggai. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking, For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. Once again, a physical mountain and a spiritual uh, voice. His voice shook the earth then, but now he is promised saying, here's Haggai's words, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. And there's a, that has Second Peter written all over it, doesn't it? All the, all in a moment, the heavens are just going to be wiped out. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. So that is the, uh, eschatological aspects of uh, Haggai's prophecy. And, and basically what we should take away is uh, that that God will take care of you from this time to whenever time he consummates everything else, whether, whether it's your life, whether it's the return of Christ. He's promising to Zerubbabel to make him uh, a certain thing on that day. Uh, uh, some have said, well, the The on that day uh, means the day they finished the temple. And Zerubbabel was used to rebuild that temple. And then they they had all the sacrifices and everything. And and Zerubbabel was uh, noted as the servant. Uh, But uh, uh, the passage we just read shows us that there's a day coming when uh, everything is going to be shaken. And uh, we're going to receive a kingdom that can't be shaken. Not physical, uh, uh, but spiritual. And so we move on to chapter 1, and we'll organize this by the time, the dates of the the preaching. There's four dates of Haggai's preaching and one date uh, of action uh, in uh, chapter 1 and verse 15. Uh, The preaching dates are uh, chapter 1, verse 1, the first day of the sixth month, chapter 2, verse 1, the 21st day of the seventh month, and then 2 on the 24th day of the ninth month, chapter 2, verse 10, and 2, verse 20. And so from uh, chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 2, verse 1, is one of those time periods, and we're going to uh, try to cover that today and uh, uh, in uh, three heads. First of all, the initial message, verses 1 through 6, then the exhortation to build, uh, verses 7 through 11, and then the response. It was the response is the obedience uh, of the people. And, and so, chapter 1, verse 1 puts our timestamp stamp right there. Second year of uh, Darius the king, first day of the seventh month. Uh, Haggai says something, the word of Yahweh came uh, by the hand of Haggai the prophet. We mentioned this in the uh, introduction last week. This is a completely different uh, than any other uh, prophet. It says it came uh, by his hand. That uh, formula is in uh, chapter 1 and verse 3 and also uh, 2 verse 1. Uh, any any reference to what God does by his hand shows there's action, not just his mouth. But we've seen uh, the word of the Lord came by the prophet. We've seen uh, the oracle that somebody said. We've seen different formulas And uh, Haggai is the only one that says it it came by his hand. There's power and movement uh, expressed in that. And then, uh, not just the timestamp or the means, but also the audience. He talks to the leaders and the people. And in our introduction, we saw that uh, Zerubbabel was the governor. He's not a king. And uh, Joshua was the high priest. So the leaders are addressed and he exhorts the rulers and the leaders first, and then there's an explanation or a description of the problem, and uh, God goes inside the minds of the people and said this is what they're thinking. Notice verse 2. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, this people says the time has not come, even the time for the house of Yahweh to be rebuilt. Well, they had some discouragements in that, didn't they? Ezra came, they started the temple. There's actually uh, notes in Ezra that say they began sacrificing in the morning and the evening. And then the other nations said, we don't want that, we don't want them. They sent back this nasty gram to uh, the king they said, you know, these people, they're so stubborn. If they, if they get their land back, they're not going to pay tribute. They're not going to obey you. They're not going to listen. They, they painted this terrible picture. And uh, wouldn't you know, uh, the, uh, the results were that the, the building stopped. Uh, but God delves into the people's minds and, and their actions. And, and we've seen before, uh, good rulers produce good results and bad rulers produce uh, bad results. And then, uh, not only does God describe their uh, mind, but He addresses the problem in verses 3 through 6. The the people stopped uh, building, and then He says, the word of Yahweh, here's the second time, came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to live in your panelled houses while the house while this house or the house of Yahweh uh, lies waste that's a probing question uh, this is the word that came and uh, the, uh, the translations use uh, the, the word uh, panelled or uh, sealed c e i l e d and uh, their process was is demonstrated in the song of solomon Uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 17, where uh, uh, I believe it's the the woman is talking about the house has cedar beams and walls. And uh, it's just this extra step was taken to make their houses nice. Uh, uh, We all do that. I had some experience when I worked for a Finnish carpenter. And you would uh, come into a room, this is the dining room, and it just had plain walls. And uh, they would get special moldings and wainscoting and different things. And there was something called a rosette that would go around the lights. And it was a a pre-made thing that was flowery and ornate. And you'd nail it all up there, or glue it, and paint the bottom of the wainscoting a different color than the top and have all these different moldings. Well, in a sense, that's what God's saying. You're making sure you got this nice cedar walls. You're making sure that your houses look good, they smell good, and cedar lasts a long time. It's a good thing to build with. And that's what he's saying. And you're doing that. You're making sure of this while uh, the, the house of God just uh, lies there. Uh, uh, the, answer, uh, the answer to, is it time for you yourselves to do this, is uh, no, Emphatically. Emphatically, no. The construction was started and it was opposed. They set up everything. We looked at it in the uh, the uh, introduction last week. Ezra 5, 1 and 2, it restarted and the prophets were supporting them. Uh, so th- that's what God is beginning to uh, uh, jumpstart. Uh, but notice, notice how he does it in verse 5. So now... Thus says Yahweh of hosts. Remember, God's word is is in there, picturesque, graphic. Yahweh of hosts. Thus says Yahweh of hosts. Set your heart to consider your ways or consider your ways. Here's what you're saying, he says, verse 2. Here's what you're doing, verse 3. Here's the question I have for you. But what you have to do is start thinking about yourself. Uh, Consider, consider your ways. Uh, This is in uh, verse 7, uh, chapter 215 and chapter uh, 218. Uh, One uh, uh, scholarly Hebrew uh, commentary says this is a, a favorite formula of Haggai, that he uses these Hebrew words together four different times. Consider your ways. Stop. Examine your heart. And consider your ways. Stop thinking about your thoughts and what you want to do and start thinking uh, the right way. Uh, Set your heart to consider these things. Consider your ways. It's plural. God's not saying, I I just have this one thing I want to talk about. He's saying, consider your ways. Consider what you're doing. All your plans and all the things uh, that you're doing. were they worldly people were they people who were too comfortable uh were they um, my needs first people Uh, we see that in our day when it comes to worship Uh, many forget that we approach the yahweh of hosts and, and and worship is is to please me and i'm thinking about myself in worship just like they might be thinking about we we could name a number or number of shortcuts that we might take in our devotions or Bible reading or this and that and just say, look, I don't have time. I don't have time for devotions. I don't have time for long prayer. I don't have time for this. I I much prefer my own ease. I much prefer taking. I just want to sleep in another half hour. Well, I really like that my house has cedar panels and cedar ceilings and cedar, I've made, I made sure my house looks really nice. And that that spirit and that and that way of thinking is what God is trying to get at. You're thinking worldly things, and you're not thinking uh, about the temple. The temple, remember, is a priority because God fills the temple with His presence, and it's the focus. It's the focus of worship. We should should think the same thing about the church. You say, well, what's going on here? Well, that's part of the problem, right? That's part of the problem. Somebody says, oh, not much goes on in church. That's part of the problem. So God is always working. I I recently uh, was uh, out listening to RefNet, and and, uh, Sinclair Ferguson was talking about the Lord's Day. He was talking about the evening service. And he said, the evening service is the most special crowning service of the whole day. And it really struck me, because it is. This is that's my last opportunity to praise the Lord for that Lord's Day. It's my last opportunity to be with God's people. It's my last opportunity to, to hear the word. And then what happens? Monday I go out, and I, I'm in the world. and I'm, It's very interesting the, the way he put it. But, but that's, what they, that's what they were thinking. I'll take care of my things. And verse 6, here's God's explanation, Yahweh's explanation, and he starts to uh, uh, expose the issues. But look at the familiar concerns and the familiar problems. You sow much, but reap little. And that type of language could come out of almost any of the minor prophets, and we've seen it over and over again. I'm going to bring you to a land of... Milk and honey, it's going to be prosperous, but if you disobey, what am I going to do? I'm going to start to take it apart. So here they are, making sure they got cedar, but what's happening? You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to get drunk. You have clothing, but it's not warm enough. Right? No reference to our current situation. You earn wages, but you put it in a bag with holes. What a picture. Oh, come get your pay. Okay, here it is. And I take it in my bag and I head home, and the, I got I got my coins, my pay is dropping out. Look at those pictures. Each one of these things speaks of Yahweh's power though, doesn't it? Who can cause that? Who causes the shortage of food? Who? Who causes the lack of other things? We'll see that in a minute. And note the intensity of Yahweh's name five times in those six verses that we've looked at. Yahweh of hosts, Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh, the word of Yahweh. He he's just comes at it over and over and over again. So, so that's their situation. The first exhortation he gets in their mind. His people says the time has not come. Then the word comes again, is it time for you to live in these paneled houses, consider your ways, and then he lists all the things that they're having trouble with, and uh, 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 he's against them in that. Well, our second major heading then is the exhortation to build, uh, verses 7 through 11, and he's right into the emphasis that's repeated Right? The, uh, the Hebrew scholar says it's a Haggai's formula. He says again, consider your ways. Same prophecy, same words, and he says it to him again. Well, that's a lot of consideration, you might say, but it's repeated. And he says, Yahweh of hosts, and it's based on what he just said. And now, in verse 8, here's the specific instructions go up to the mountains and hills, bring wood, rebuild the house, and then the purpose that I may be pleased and glorified. These really are the only reasons we have uh, to live is that God would be pleased with us and be glorified by our lives. What a sad thing if I make a big deal out of 309 Forest Trace Circle. Oh I live in Forest Trace Circle. Four bedrooms, two baths. We have special vinyl siding on the floor or vinyl flooring on the side or whatever it is. What but what a shame. What a shame. They were going up to the mountains and the hills to bring wood for themselves. And now God says, You've got to start thinking a different way. You have to consider your ways because, overall, it's whether our lives please God and are glorifying to Him. Our goal is to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Not to say, Well, me first, and then I have something left over. Their plans and purposes were not according to His. And despite opposition and enemies, they should have persevered in the priorities and faith. And that's a good lesson for us. Here came persecution. Here came an enemy, and they just said, "All right, we're not going to do anything." I know it was an edict from a king, but they should have had more of the spirit. Like we do, what God says, we don't do what kings say. Maybe that, maybe they should have done that. But their their uh, their resolve is being questioned. Uh, by the Lord. And then he, he speaks of his personal activity uh, against them, uh, verses 9 through 11. Verse 8, here's what I want you to do. Verse 9, and you're right back into the, the problems. First of all, there's a failure to achieve their desires in verse 9. You looked for much and came to little And then God makes it personal. You brought it home and he says, I blew it away. I blew it away. Uh, The reason, he says in verse 9, why declares Yahweh of hosts. Again, his magnificent name, he's Yahweh of hosts, of, of all creation, of everything living in heaven and in earth. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. There, there's the problem described again. They're unconcerned about the temple and worship, and they're thwarted in their lives, but they remain in that condition. They, they, they haven't put two and two together. But it's very clear as to the reasons why they struggle, and uh, the Lord brings up more issues. Notice in verse 10, His power then is executed over creation therefore he says therefore because of you because of you and, and then he starts to list the the sky has restrained its dew or the heavens have withheld dew there's not enough rain and the earth withheld its produce. Now, how does the heavens and the earth do that? Are they, are they personal? Is it, can the earth say, I'm not going to produce any produce? No, they, he's saying, he's using that picture. It's as if the heavens and the earth had a will of their own and it was against them because of what they were doing. But it, but it's really uh, God's action in withholding uh, these stores. And then, Uh, Verse 11, he calls himself, he determines what is going to happen. You remember, God determines what's going to happen every day. He determines what's going to happen every season, every year, everything. Verse 11, he says, And I called for drought on the land. And the drought spreads out to nine different things. It's the the only controlling uh, word and then this list. I called for drought, and then on the land, and the land became dry. I I, I called for drought, and, and and on the hills. Now hills are important. My brother years ago lived on a property that was uh, that was a, a hill, and uh, the house was in a lower area, and you would have one of those uh, hour and a half, two hour thunderstorms and out of nowhere there was like a three-foot wide stream that would come down from the higher place all the way across his property well that's why you need that's why you need uh, not only uh, water on the land but on the hills the hills bring the water uh, down to the rest of the land Uh, notice the next three things grain new wine and oil if you've been listening at all, these words are in your mind because those are the things that God constantly went against. You're going to have less grain, less new wine, and less oil. This this uh, triad of blessings was always threatened and they were really always the first to be taken away. And we, we've seen it over and over again. Uh, no, notice uh, the next thing. I'm going to cause a drought onto what the... Uh, The ground brings forth. So now, now, now it's spreading out. Now it's not only grain, new wine, and oil, but he's basically saying everything else. And then man and beast. Uh, uh, Man is mentioned, man suffers, right? If you got a, if you got your uh, money bag with a hole, you're going to suffer. If if you brought stuff to your house and God says, I'm going to blow it away, you've got the problems. And then on the beasts uh, as well. There wasn't enough for all the creatures. And this too, it's a prophetic message that's over and over again. You're going to suffer because your crops are going to suffer. Your cattle is going to suffer and everybody's going to suffer. And then the summary, the summary is on all their labors. Uh, work, uh, they work in futility. You you think of the curse in Genesis. It, it was promised. Your labor is going to be hard. You're going to be sweating because this this ground is just not going to produce what you think. But imagine having the double thing. You're working under the curse and now you're working under God, making it even more futile because of what you're doing. He says, I can't bless you because of what you're uh, doing. And and this is also reflected in chapter 2, verse 17. I struck you and every work of your hands with scorching wind, mildew, and hail. Yet you did not come back to me, uh, declares Yahweh. He's telling him that that's what I've done in the past. So uh, here is the exhortation to build. But he he gives them the whole framework of what's going on. Here's what I want you to do, but here is the results of, of your activities. And the drought affects nine different things. I called for a drought, he says. I called for a drought, and it affected all those areas. Well, then, uh, finally, in, in chapter one, we come to the, to the response. And the response... It is amazing as the rest of Haggai's prophecy because there's top-to-bottom uh, obedience uh, notice uh, notice notice oh, I'm in the wrong chapter notice verse 12 then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest with all the remnant of the people, listened to the voice of Yahweh their God. There's Elohim. Yahweh their Elohim. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as Yahweh their God had sent, and the people feared Yahweh. Look at the intensity. The voice of Yahweh, the words of Haggai the prophet, as Yahweh their God had sent him, and the people feared Yahweh. Well, there... Uh, there is a surprising reaction. Because what has happened, what has happened in every other prophecy? What has happened in Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah? The the people have said, I I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear the voice of the Lord. But here... They considered their ways. They took it to heart, and they started to do things. And it says, they obeyed the voice of Yahweh, their God. That's important. That's important because what have we seen in the prophets? Who did they say were their gods? Anything else? The gods of the Canaanites, or... I think I'll serve Milcom, plus I'll serve God too. Or whoever whoever wins the battle, and we'll 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 pray to Baal for our crops while we're disobeying and God's cursing our crops. And they they tried that, you remember syncretism, right? They they tried to blend these things together. And in the ancient world, right? You won a battle; it was like, oh, we got the victory, and God tried to show them over and over no that's not the way but also the words of haggai the prophet his words were used to to get through to them uh, as yahweh elohim had sent him and it's rare prophets were shunned they were told to go away you remember amos right the high priest amaziah he went, he went right to Jeroboam too. And he said, do you know that Amos is out there prophesying against you and your kingdom? And then he went to Amos and he says, nobody wants to hear what you're saying. Go back to where you came from. And Amos says, I can't. You don't, you realize God took me from behind the sheep and made me a prophet. I used to be a shepherd and I used to dress sycamores. I'd prepare sycamores so people could eat them. Figs. But I'm a prophet, and I'm going to stay right here. But that's what they told them. They shunned them. Uh, uh, they, they told them, go away. Go back to where you came from. And there's several passages, uh, uh, Micah and Hosea, I believe, that said that we, we don't want to hear what you have to say at all. Don't, don't even say anything to us. Remember, the one, uh, the one verse says, the one that speaks in the gate. We don't even want you to be down by our gate speaking about things of God. Just leave us alone. If a prophet is shunned, and our our verse shows the connection, whose words is it? Was it Yahweh's words or Haggai's words? Yes, it was. They're connected. They're all together. If the prophet was shunned, then Yahweh was shunned. If a prophet was disobeyed and ignored, then so was Yahweh. And if a prophet was told not to speak, it was as if you were telling God, I don't want to hear what you have to say to him. But here is something else. A rare response to the message is, it says, the people feared Yahweh. You you would say, praise the Lord for that. You would say, bless God. That's what we've been praying for all the time. We've been praying that God's word would get through to people and they would fear the living God. That's what we want. Our brother and his family are going to go to Thailand. That's what we want for... The the Thai people, isn't it that that they would hear the word and and fear the Lord, that, that their hearts would be changed, and it's a shame, but it's it's rare. Verse thirteen, uh, verse thirteen underscores it, and this is uh, something we mentioned in the introduction. Then Haggai, the messenger of Yahweh, spoke by the commissioned message of Yahweh to the people and said, I am with you, declares the Lord. So there is the message and the messenger. A- a- and there's another reason for confidence. If you know that God has sent you to speak his word, you are the messenger and you have the message. Uh, Paul understood it in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, therefore, we are ambassadors of, For Christ, God making his appeal, what does he say? Through us. Haggai knew it. I'm a messenger, and I've got God's message. Paul knew it, he says, because God is making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's what Ambassador does. That's what this passage did, didn't he? Consider your ways. Consider your ways. You have to see what's going on. You have to understand the real picture, and by God's grace they did, and things began to happen. And and then that message, I am with you, declares Yahweh. This was something that was disconnected too. If, if all I'm concerned about is my new couch and my cedar walls, and i got to make sure my ceiling is nice and i'm not concerned about anything else I, I am missing the point but when god exhorts me to go build and stirs me up as we'll see then he tells me i'm with you then i can do i can do what i'm supposed to do for the lord can i yahweh of hosts says i'm with you yahweh of hosts says i am with you Yahweh of hosts tells his church, I'm with you. That's encouraging. And that's what God does. And then uh, God backs up encouraging words uh, with encouraging movement. Uh, uh, Verse 14, Yahweh stirred up the spirit, all who responded and obeyed. Notice three times the spirit of Zerubbabel was stirred up. The spirit of Joshua was stirred up. And all the remnant of the people, their spirits were stirred up. And and we could say that's what we want in our day. We pray for it every Wednesday night, I would say. We pray for it sometimes on Sunday. We want God to move in our day and age. We want God to move in in our uh, generation. Stir them up. Stir them up. Stir them up. And you would pray, Yahweh, please stir me up. To please you. And to glorify you in my life. And, and then finally, uh, finally, the, there's immediate results. Uh, the end of verse 14 and 15, they came and worked on the house of God. The Yahweh of hosts, their Elohim, right? They obeyed the voice uh, of Yahweh. And here's the timestamp that's not a preaching timestamp. It says on the sixth month of the 21st day. So 20 days after the first message, God says He's going to be with them, He stirs them up, and that's what they do. They start to, they start to do the work. Uh, it, it is, I mean, isn't that encouraging? Isn't that an encouraging lesson of, of what's going on? In, in, all the, in, in all the turmoil, and, and other nations against them, and, and, and all these things that are happening, And God says, you should do this, and the people obeyed, and they feared God, and then they started to do the work that God told them to do. It's a a very encouraging passage, and let's close with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this short prophecy. We are thankful for the intensity and the uses of your name uh, in it to constantly remind us that you are in control. We are thankful that you can stir the hearts of people, you can move in their lives, and we are thankful that you promise us, even through the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that you will be with us each and every day. In Christ's name we pray.